Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. How about it? Welcome in. Wednesday, August 16, 2023. Time for the Gabe Coon Show. I am your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman, Gabe Coon. On X, on Twitter, at G underscore Coon 71. Alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show, that would be Connor Dunning on X, on Twitter, at C Dunning 929. Trivia, Celtic, tonight, general knowledge. Look at you. Look at you, <laughs> Gabe. Yeah, man, 7, 10 p.m., come out. Again, it's the biggest trivia game in the city. Be a part of something that's actually kind of special. special. We had 25 teams last last week, Gabe. 25 teams. so much to deal with. You, but you have you have, uh, you have have a buddy with you. Oh, yeah, Isaiah Downey, he's, he's hosting with me, yes. crushing it. We have a lot of good music, good drinks, good deals. Do y'all, do y'all come up with the, uh, the questions? No. I was going to say, if it's you and Isaiah the, the coming trivia, up with questions, the, it would be strictly film. The trivia... Yes, it would be. The <laughs> trivia god, Kevin Cerrito, he sends us the uh, the questions. But we get to input on them, and we get to talk about them. I will say my trivias uh, do hold more movie questions than some of the others because it's, you know, kind of my, my bad. Still haven't met Isaiah in the flesh, man. Isaiah is need to make that salt of the earth human being. Need to make that happen. But uh, three hours of talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. Of course, we have overreaction and not an overreaction to start off the day. Um, and we have a Michael Orr discussion, Tui discussion. It's just getting uglier and uglier. Attorneys for the Tuies and the Tuies have had a presser today, and they basically reiterated what the TMZ report was yesterday about Michael Orr trying this before and this time around threatened to release a bad story unless he was paid $15 million. They sort of stood by that. Um, but there's a couple of things I want to bring up. There's a couple of things I want to ask along the way based on what was said today in that presser. Uh, We are loaded with guests today. Loaded with guests. Loaded. Starting at 4.30, got to check in on fall camp, and we have a check-in on fall camp with none other than Ryan Silverfield, the head coach of Memphis football. Uh, Ask him about depth. Ask him about everything going on with the program right this second. How does he feel heading into the season? Positive? Indifferent? Where are they at? 
So we'll talk to him at the bottom of this hour before we hop into a conversation with Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock, Jeff Calkins Show and Daily Memphian. And then uh, what, what is going to be a Wednesday regular, Ty Richardson. Ty Richardson will join at 6 o'clock, ESPN Arkansas. He covers the SEC very closely, was at SEC Media Days. Um, obviously covers Arkansas very closely as well, but he will join at 6 o'clock and we'll have a great conversation about college football and SEC football as a whole. And then at 5.30, in between Jeff and Small Talk, which Small Talk will be Hard Knocks Episode 2. Have you gotten around to it, Connor? I, I have not, not gotten around to okay. it, but I might be able to watch some during, during Jeff. Maybe I a can little lesser, it but off. There's, there is some great Aaron Rodgers moments. I've heard there's something about a mentalist. Oz Perlman? Insane. <laughs> like, I, I, he brought up Miko Hardman at one point, and he asked Miko Hardman, okay, you're going to make it to the Super Bowl. Who are you playing? Miko says, the 49ers. He goes, what's the score going to be? He goes, 31 21. Oz Perlman turns around a cardboard or like sheet, right? A, a poster board, and it says, 49ers versus Jets, 31-21. And he already had it written down before me, Cole Hardman, even spoke. It was the most I, – I, I don't know how these guys – he's the mentalist, right? Oz the mentalist. I don't know how he did that. But, hey, we'll talk about Hard Knocks Episode 2 at the bottom of the second hour when we get to uh, small talk. But in between that, Connor, you have rewatched, uh, you have rewatched the old blind side. I did. It took me two days. Yes. It took uh, me two days to get through it. And he, he's done it, so you don't have to. Yes. And you have picked out some interesting moments as this Michael Orr, Tui family battle rages on. Correct. Okay. Correct. And I, I want to make this a point that we are going to be talking specifically about the movie. It's basically how the movie has aged, fact versus fiction in a few moments, and just, you know, what it's like 14 years later. Yes, which is... It's very different. It's taking a dark turn. <laughs> it's taking a dark turn. Um, but also along the way, around 6.30, we're going to hop into the Blitz. Um, Kyle Shanahan has named a starting quarterback without naming a starting quarterback. He says that if Brock Purdy, the only way he would lose the starting job is if he melts in practice. So that's that's something. And also out of Titans camp, we have some not-so-good news. Traylon Burks has exited practice after suffering a left knee injury. And he caught a, I mean, deep ball, sort of a skinny post down the middle of the field, caught a touchdown in joint practice. And goes down with a left knee injury. That's just brutal, but we'll talk about that as well. But uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into overreaction, not an overreaction. Now, it's overreaction or not an overreaction. We are to wild and crazy guys. That's crazy. Chill, homie. On the Gabe Cujo from 92.9. All right, Gabe, first up. Michael Orr and the Tuies continue to battle it out in the public eye. The Tuies and their legal team held a presser today, and they still hold the belief that they have done nothing, that they have done everything right, and Orr has been trying to get money from them for a while. Regardless, considering how sad this has made folks, I think closure is wanted on this situation. So, my question to you is: We are never going to really find out the full truth from this situation. Overreaction or not an overreaction? I I think I want closure as well. You want closure. Most of the public wants closure on this, but I I don't think you're going to get it. This is not an overreaction. I I don't think we'll ever find out the full truth. There's too many lawyers, too much money flying around right now. And if what Michael Orr is alleging is true, the Tuies have enough money to pony up and it could get settled behind closed doors. I mean, I, that, I, I hate to be that guy. 
but I don't think we'll actually figure out exactly the faults, exactly how this thing went for 19 years since the conservatorship started. I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, Connor, but this is where I'm at at this moment, and it kind of depresses me thinking about it. That's what I feel like is probably going to happen here because it is one of those situations where I think that it is possible that if the full truth came out, no one would really walk away from it unscathed, if that makes any sense. So they may decide that settling this behind closed doors, which it should have been in the first place. Yeah, it should have been. It's best. Do I hope that happens? No, because I want to find out the full story. I want to know what happens. Now I, that it's out in the I, public, now that now that Michael Orr has alleged these things, I want to know if they're true. If there, if there are things to be held accountable for, I want that to happen. One thing about this whole case, though, is or case, situation, feud, whatever you want to call it, it's going to make you feel like you need a shower no matter what because <laughs> it is such a sad situation. And I think as as time has gone on, as we have learned more about this, we've said it before, the legal ruling on this isn't going to necessarily be, I think, what public opinion is. And it's probably not going to be even what my yeah, opinion is. Le- it's, legality it's, is not morality. The legality part of it might show us a few of the things that happen. I'm still really curious if we're ever going to get text messages. They say that they have text messages from Michael Orr. If I hope, I wonder if we were, we are ever going to see them, but it just, it really feels like no matter what is ruled in the court, it still feels like uh, a pretty, you know, Suspect situation. And I think both sides have had their wrongdoings throughout this process, so I want to make that clear. Now, I do have a couple of, of things I want people to stop doing. <laughs> like, please stop doing these things when talking about this case because they're irrelevant conversations when it comes to the actual allegations put out there by Michael Orr and the Tuies. One, stop assuming Michael Orr needs money. That is irrelevant to anything <laughs> here. If, if he did not get money that was owed to him from the Tuies, from the blind side, then it doesn't matter if he has money or not, if he's struggling for money or not. And the other part of this, stop talking about how much money the Tuies have. We get it. We understand they're wealthy, they're rich, they have done well in their life. Uh, Sean Tuie sold, uh, sold his uh, Taco Bell chains and his, his fast food chains for $200 million. It's very well uh, talked about. We know about it. And it's still irrelevant to the conversation here, Right. You can't just say, oh, well, why would they want to hold his money for him and take money away from him? They're rich already. It doesn't matter to them. That, that's irrelevant to the conversation. And I, I've heard that point made a lot by the legal team of the Tuies, and that's just not it, – it doesn't, it doesn't compute. It's about the allegations that have been put out by both sides. It's not about how much money people have. Now, I have a couple of questions based on what I saw and heard today from the Tuies and the Tuies legal team. One, I still need an answer as to why. And this is three questions. One, I need a question, uh, an answer to the question as to why Michael Orr is still under conservatorship at age 37. That, that needs to be explained to me. It's been 19 years. And this is a guy who's not in his history of his entire life. He has not been accused of any real erratic behavior. There's been nothing there criminally. A conservatorship usually is for somebody who's acting erratically. The Britney Spears situation, when she was a teen going into her early 20s, that's why her dad ultimately took 
her under a conservatorship is because she was acting erratically and they didn't know what was next for her. She was in and out of drug rehab. She had a lot of different issues. Michael Orr's never had those issues. That's one of the questions. Second question, the money changed today, Connor. On the blind side, how much money they made each, the kids, the, the five ways they split it up between the family and Michael Orr, the money changed again today and it was 100000 So if I'm tracking this correctly, since Monday, first it was 14000 That was Sean Tui talking with Jeff, Cal- Jeff Calkins. 14000 plus depending on, on sort of the, the royalties and everything else. Then Sean Jr. came out on Barstool and said 225 k 2.5%. And he's made 60 to 70 grand off of it the past four to five years. Again, the movie was made in 09. So that was the second part. Now it's 100K. Do they know how much money they made off this damn thing? Do they under, like, you would think that the subjects of of this movie would understand the financial implications and how much money they made off of it. And clearly they don't. I, I, this is weird to me. That's strange. That puts my antennas up. I fully agree. It, it's the the money continue continuing to change is suspicious to me. Things like that are suspicious to me. Why did Michael have a different agent than the family? That is suspicious yep. to me. The he's thirty seven years old. Why is he still in this? That's suspicious to me. That's why I have a lot of questions still, and I don't think that their statement or what they are saying necessarily dispels any of my questions. It doesn't answer any of them. It, in a weird way, kind of raises more. Yes. I thought some people made very good points yesterday um, about their TMZ statement, and they were like, listen, if this is somebody that you are saying is part of your family and this thing, that it was a cold, cold, brutal statement that they kind of said about him, and they kind of dragged him, dragged him through the mud a bit. But again, you know, Sean said that he was surprised by this whole situation. That's, that leads me to my third here. But that, That's strange to me. My third question is, if Michael Orr, based on the TMZ statement from their lawyer, right? if Michael Orr has been trying to sort of legally extort the Tuies and get eight-figure settlements this entire time, pay large sums of money, and they have had this open line of communication to be able to discuss those things this entire time, why did Sean Tuie act surprised and hurt on Monday in the Daily Memphian story with Jeff? Why, why are they surprised and hurt if clearly this has been happening, happening for a while? You shouldn't be surprised by the allegations that have been thrown out there by Michael Orr if he has indeed gone down this road several times. And again today, in some of the statements that they said with their attorney, they talked about how the relationship has become estranged over the last 10 years. But that still doesn't line up to some of the things that they said yesterday. And it doesn't line up to some of the things that SJ has said. It doesn't line up with some of the things that Sean said to Jeff. It's their story is changing about their relationship with Michael and the money over and over again. And I have concerns there. Once again, I think that it is ultimately all going to be there's a paper trail somewhere. (laughs) They're going to have texts. They're going to have contracts. They're going to have deals. All of those things. It does feel fishy, though. No matter how this plays out, I can't help but think something fishy happened here. Something that was not 100 percent above board probably went down. Again, I do think that the two we started out this thing with Michael wanting to help him. I, yes, I don't, and I think they did help him. And I do I think, think they that did. they helped him. I don't think that but, that changes things. But I think on the back end, it was very advantageous to be close with Michael Orr for the Tuies. Right. The and, speaking engagements, the foundation events, everything else, it right. became advantageous almost more so for Michael Orr than Michael Orr being 
um, in that relationship with the Tuies, it became more advantageous for the Tuies on the back end. Right, and I think we can all agree that the Tuies' involvement with Michael's life absolutely helped him. It did. It helped. It helped yes. him get to Ole Miss. It helped him get to Briarcrest, to to the Ravens, all that stuff. All of that, I can agree with you. They helped him out. They helped him. That does not mean that they are allowed to take advantage of his name. And Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Likeness because they helped us because of that situation. It does not mean that he owes them anything. It does not mean that they don't owe him the even split of the money, which seems like Something fishy is going on there because it keeps changing. I don't understand why they can't be like, here was the deal, here was the contract, this is where the money went. If all of that stuff is easily accessible, no. like they keep saying it is, I feel like we would have seen it by now, but this is now the fourth different money amount that we have. And they've also alleged, they have alleged that Michael Orr did get his money, but it's in right. a, he didn't want to take it and cash it during his NFL career and then after that, and maybe he didn't feel like it was enough. And they say that it's in a trust account for his son. So that's going to have to be proven. That's going to have to be figured out. But I I think going back to the original conversation um, about us finding out the full truth, I don't think we'll ever find out the full truth about this story. I just think there's too many lawyers, too much money involved. And if if there's going to be an ultimate solution, I think it'll be behind closed doors and it'll be a settlement. That's where I feel like this is probably heading. All right, moving on. There are a lot of reports uh, on the future of realignment and where it could head. Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark said today with John Orond and Andrew Marchand that the Big 12 is done with expanding at the moment. Now, the Pac-12 has been left with four teams and is looking to expand to stay alive. A popular discussion out there involves four AAC, AAC schools yes, American Athletic me, Conference joining schools. the Pac-12 uh, to keep them alive at eight. So... If Memphis gets an invite, they should join the Pac-12. Overreaction or not an overreaction? Noah, Noah did make me laugh, though, about the comments from Brett Yormark to John Orrand and uh, Andrew Marshan. It was about UConn and Gonzaga. He said that things didn't work out, and he called it the dream scenario happened. He, well, we didn't think we were going to get all these guys. Hell yes. We figured this thing out on the fly. And Ignore the dead body perfectly. over there. Yeah, <laughs> it worked out perfectly. Ignore the, the dead body on the West Coast. Um but for me, if the premise is if Memphis gets an invite, they should no doubt join the Pac-12. Bear with me here. I think this is an overreaction. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. And, and I want to start with Stanford and Cal. There's been discussions about Big Ten and ACC. I don't think those are over. I do not think they're over in the slightest. 
I would hate to see Memphis jump out of this conference, lose two of the biggest powers in said conference with the AAU affiliation, with how good they are academically, with how prestigious they are. I'd hate to see Memphis jump into that conference and be left with Oregon State and Washington State. I would hate to see that. Now, if, if everything stays the same, I understand the thought process. If Memphis got an invite and you got up to eight, I think ESPN could get involved and maybe it would be like a $15 million deal if they added more teams from the Mountain West, but the Mountain West has exit fees. I just think there's too many moving parts to immediately say, hey, we should jump into the Pac-12. And this also, I think people are ignoring this. One, you don't know what the AQ is going to be going forward because the Big Ten and the SEC are asking right this second to figure out with the, the playoff. Right now you have six AQs. The Pac-12 ceases to exist in its, its old form when they, when they came up with those rules. Big Ten and SEC want that to change immediately. I think you need to see how that changes before you just jump to another conference to jump to another conference just because their namesake is the Pac-12 and they have an 108-year history. Also, <laughs> this past year has taught us something about the Pac-12, hasn't it? A little bit. They don't have much foresight. And their leadership right now with George Klyavkov leaves a lot to be desired. Like, I, I don't know if you just want to jump in with those four teams that he rules over and assume that he's going to make the best decisions for said conference. They have a long history in the 21st century of making bad decisions along the way. I would hate for the University of Memphis to get caught up in that. Now, if everything all works out and you can get out of the AAC and you know that everybody's going to stay in the Pac-12 and you get an invite and you can join, sure. And you know sort of what the media rights deal is going to look like and it exceeds what you have in the AAC, sure, join. But I think that there's more questions than answers on it right now, and I think at this current moment, it could change. Things could change. At this current moment, I think if Memphis got an invite, I think you should be very damn careful about jumping into those waters. So basically what you're saying is you're not saying they shouldn't. You're just saying it might be a good idea, but we need more information. Yes, you need more We need more a little bit more information. Let's, let's pump the brakes for a second. Yes. I know that we want to get into a Power Five. We want to be in that Point group. Point being, if, if they got an invite tomorrow and they were told to join tomorrow in 2025, get more assurances up front before you just jump in, the, the, in those waters. You have to understand what you're getting into if, before you go. Don't just jump in because you think you can get more money in the meantime for a short term and because they're the Pac-12 and they have that name and they've been a longstanding Power 5 conference and you think you can get an AQ. I think all those things could change going into the future. I just I, I think you need more information before you make that move. If you had to, I guess, power rank the assurances that you would need for the to jump into the Pac-12, because let's say they get the invite – and a few of those questions have been answered. A few of them haven't been answered. But I'll give you this. Let's say that Stanford and Cal, they're staying. Okay, that would be my first question. Right. Because they're going to drive money up in a media rights deal. Right. And that's what you ultimately so, are jumping to the Pac-12 for is to get more money. If they stay and it's confirmed that the AQ stays, do you make that jump? Oh, without question. So those are the big no two. No question about it. Hop in. Head first. Head first. So really the AQ is the big, it's the big prize, I, guess, yes. I, I would suppose. Yes, but I don't think that's going to be the case. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think that don't the Pac-12, that. by any stretch of the imagination, is going to keep an AQ. They're going to have to go out of their way and find a way to expand enough to keep the rest of college athletics, really college football, happy, the college football playoff happy. And I don't know if there's enough they can add to do that. 
to keep the Big Ten and SEC from changing the format of the college football playoff? Because the four teams would be, would be what? Memphis, SMU. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I've seen so many different thoughts on this. I saw one. I saw one. Uh, uh, one article that had like Rice involved, which was bizarre to me. But I guess the Houston market. But Rice. That's not much of the Houston market. Um, but, I mean, if, if you're using your senses, it would be SMU, Memphis, Tulane for, uh, for you know, they have good academics and they've been pretty good on the field uh, football-wise. And then pick from the rest. I don't know. I mean, I, I, your guess is as good as mine from there. But those top three seem pretty set in stone to me. Right. Uh, maybe UTSA. Maybe something like that because they're good on the on the field and they're in San Antonio, decent market, and they've grown really, really a, a whole lot in the past decade or so. I mean, maybe you could th- think highly of their growth potential, um, but we'll see, man. I, I, there's been a lot of reports out there of four AAC teams ready to jump. I don't know what those four teams are. I don't know what the Pac-12 is thinking at this moment. I just, to be honest, I think I'm actually rooting for it. You know, it's I fully understand your hesitations and you need those answers, you know, you need those questions answered before you would make the move. But I, I think it would be too appealing to not make the jump to, to the Pac-12, even if it's a lesser version. Now, I do agree that the fear of what happened to Memphis before when they made a jump to a conference. Yeah. It's very well, likely. Big East, yeah. It, it, it has, it has a, you know, remnants of, of that situation. So, <laughs> so I would have a little worry there, but man, it, it would be nice and, it's just it's it, so insane how the conversation has gotten here though. But you know if, what I mean? If you if you had assurances that Stanford and Cal were gonna stay and you'd have an AQ, it's like a no brainer. But I don't think those assurances are going to be on the table. Have I you think seen that's where I'm at. Well it's so confusing right now because I've seen reports of the four teams and now have you seen that there's rumors that they might do the whole comp they might do like a conference merger <laughs> yeah. and make it the Pac eighteen. Well, and then Apple that was, and ESPN that was an idea. would be involved. That was more of an idea than an actual report. You right. know what I mean? That was yeah. more of an idea that was, like was a, thrown like out that was, there. That was a galaxy brained. I mean, I, I think that the I saw that, and I think that that type of conference, strength in numbers, decent football schools, some from the Mountain West, some from the AAC, decent programs, keeping Stanford, Cal, like that could be okay. I don't think it would be a power five or power conference by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I could see some legs to that. I think you could at least live and, and buy yourself some time if you, if you did that idea, but that's more of an idea than a, than a reality at this moment. Fair enough. Now, we got one more? Oh, do you want to do one more? Yeah, let's do right. one more. Let's do one more. I got one more for you. The state of Missouri has passed an NIL law that allows high school players to make money off of NIL as so long as they commit and sign to an in-state school. So they can sign a financial aid agreement with an in-state school, something they can do as early as September 1st, and immediately make money. It's been met with some skepticism and pushback by some folks, but... My question to you, more states will follow Missouri's lead. Overreaction, not an overreaction. Not an overreaction in the slightest. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but isn't this insane, Connor? Yeah. The state of Missouri passed a law yesterday on NIL saying that high school athletes can earn NIL dollars so long as they sign with an in-state school. So that feeds the University of Missouri. And then you saw earlier in the week the number one D lineman in the class of 2024, Williams Inwineri, committed to Mizzou. There's that's there's no 
question as to why he's doing that, why he's committing and trying to go to Mizzou. He feels like, okay, I'm the number one D-line, uh, D-lineman in the class of 2024. People like me already. I'm not going to worry. I'm playing in the SEC. I feel okay about my NFL prospects. Let me make this money right this second so I can then go to Mizzou. Now, he wouldn't tell you that. He'd probably say, I think Mizzou's the best fit for me, yada, yada, yada. But there's also some rumors about Ryan Wingo, a five-star out of SLU High School in, in the city of St. Louis uh, committing to Mizzou. There's some rumors out there about it. I think other schools, other not other schools, other states are going to follow the lead of Missouri here because they want that recruiting base to be the same. They want to have a stronghold on their particular state. And I, I just I find this whole thing strange. I'll say that up front. It's a... And and this is another example as to I hate the fact that we have to talk about Congress getting involved, but Congress has to get involved because we have different states doing different things and we don't have any one entity telling us what to do when it comes to NIL. The states are running it by themselves. And this this law, it's insane. It's it's, it's wild. What's fascinating about a law like this is – some states are absolutely going to want it, and some are not going to want it. If you're a Cali school and you're a Florida school, you probably want this to go into effect for your state so you can lock down those kids. They're not going anywhere else, but if you're, I don't know, if you're like in Idaho, it doesn't really do much for you. Yeah, and, and uh, William Zenwineri, I didn't explain this, he, is, he goes to Lee's Summit. He lives in the state of Missouri. Ryan Wingo also from St. Louis. So. Oh, I thought that was a given, yeah. Yeah, but, like, that's just – I. I it gives you a corner on the market in your own state in regards to recruiting, something we've never, ever seen to this length. We've never seen it done to this length, and it's just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. But Missouri is the first state to do this, so it seems to be working for them already. We'll see how it works for them going into the future, and we'll see what other states try to adopt something similar. Now, Ryan Silverfield is scheduled to join next. Let's go ahead and get that done Right after these messages, right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Yeah, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Baby. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. We are two and a half weeks from kickoff for the Memphis football season, and it's about time to bring on head coach of the Memphis football team. That would be Ryan Silverfield at R Silverfield on X, on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. He joins me now via the phone line. Coach Silverfield, what's happening? Man, good to hear your voice, Gable. Yes, sir. Pleasure to be on your show and uh, continue to be proud of you and everything you're doing in this community. But all is well in the midst of training camp. Uh, fun time to grind time. Absolutely loving it, and the guys are working hard. Do we term these the dog days? Are these the dog days of camp? They are. You know, we're right there in the middle of it. Uh, you know, the first few days, the guys are excited to be back and get after it, and then the body starts a little bit sore, and uh, the competitive nature continues to kick in. But we are in the dog days of it, but it, it's the, it's a fun time. How is how's, how's health looking, and how, how, are, how, are the, how are the guys responding as far as, uh, yeah. as camp is concerned? Yeah, we're staying healthy. Uh, knock on wood, the guys, uh, you know, we're, we're dinged up here and there. You know, one or two things. But uh, 
relatively healthy and we take care of them. We're being smart. I mean, it's not like even the days when you played where you're, you know, there's no such thing as two days anymore and it's off days every so often and take care of them. But, you know, we want to be healthy for September 2nd, uh, but they've been responding well. Their, their mindset, their spirit, uh, their energy has been fantastic. Um, you know, we've had some hot days, obviously some cool days last few, but uh, they've got the right mindset, the right approach. They're working their tails off. We got depth at position, so I think you're seeing um, competition, and competition brings out the best in all. Yeah, now um, it, it's definitely not how uh, it was when I was there. Y'all, y'all bring out slip and slides, and uh, y'all have. Uh, it looks like y'all have some fun after some practices too. You get the water guns out. It's it's a lot different. Yeah, it's a little bit different. We used to just get you guys online and make you run more games. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. No water breaks, no carry breaks, <laughs> no no slip and slides. Uh, just straight to run more. Um, no, I think that's the nature of where right college athletics is going. You got to get your guys to buy in and whatever it takes. But uh, we're enjoying it. We are working hard. I mean, this is not just playland out here. We're uh, getting after it pretty good, and we'll continue to grind. But uh, we are enjoying it. And I told our guys all the time. I don't care if it's you know 102 out or 72. We've got to uh, enjoy the 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 process and what it takes to get better as a football team. And I think we're seeing it every single day. What, what's the process about getting them in the indoor, depending on how hot it is? Is, is it been mostly outdoor practices on the, uh, on the grass fields? <laughs> it has. I mean, they, you know, some of these guys give me those puppy dog eyes and, <laughs> and point out like, gosh, we've got that beautiful indoor. And it's, <laughs> right. uh, it's really, really nice. And it's, you know, 30 feet away. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Let's continue to stay out here in the heat. And work. Um, look, we'll use it if there's inclement weather. Obviously, we're going to be smart if there's heat advisories and take care of our guys uh, with numerous breaks. But, you know, it's going to be hot September 2nd in the Liberty Bowl, as we well know, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. And uh, well, out on that turf, we we all know that. And look, teams like South Florida, I'm sure it's hot in Tampa, right? And yep. Cookman, Daytona, it's going to be hot there, you know, where they're, they're practicing. So, all the teams were playing, uh, especially early. It's it, everybody's warming up in this stuff. Playing it, it's hot in Dallas, you know. So let's yeah. go. So you bring up so you bring up the depth that you guys brought in this offseason. A lot of transfer portal additions and a lot on the defensive side of the ball. What do you think about where where the defense is at this point um, in camp? I mean, you guys brought in a bunch of guys up front: Josh Ellison, Darius Jones, some guys up there. Um, Chandler Martin's a guy who was very highly productive at, at East Tennessee State. Uh, linebacker, your your secondary, uh, Simeon Blair's already a captain for you guys after being a captain at Arkansas for a couple of years. How, how do you feel about where the defense is at at this point? Yeah, uh, the, the key word is depth there. I mean, we've got a bunch of capable guys that can go out there and compete. I mean, I think you look uh, for the first time in a long time, like, hey, this guy could be uh, – he may be third string on the depth chart, but he could easily start for us, right? He, could, mm-hmm. he, may, play, he may be playing 30 snaps a game at the D-line spot, which is plenty, you know. And if you got more guys that can rotate, the fresher you can be. Um, you've heard me use the adage of being able to finish things yep. uh, these last few months, and, and that's, you know, being able to have that depth to be able to go out and compete for all four quarters at a high level is huge. Really pleased. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the transfers. I think you hit the nail on the head with all those guys you mentioned. Um, they can come out, and, and we're expecting big things from all of them, right, impact players. And, you know, then you look at the guys that we have returning, you know, and that's some of the fun things is you, you, everybody gets excited about, hey, the recruiting class, everybody gets excited about the transfer portal. Well, how about the guys we got returning? You know, we got high expectations for Jeff Canton. You know, I, I think Jalen Allen is going to have a, a very, very productive season 
excited about his leadership role and what he's able to do for our defense. You know, Greg Rubin returning. you got some guys that are coming out, and the guys that have been on our roster that fans are going to say, oh, yeah, I forgot about him <laughs> right. years ago. Oh, and, and, and finally, maybe we can say we're still developing people here at the university, and it's not just all transfers and uh, excited about the growth of those guys. But defensively, man, they've been flying around. Um, and schematically, I think we're putting guys in the right spots and very, very excited about what we're going to see from them this year. So it's not common to see a guy who, who transfers in immediately become sort of team captain. You, you bring him on AAC Media Days. But Simeon Blair, I mean, how quickly did you realize that he was going to be a vocal leader for this group? Did you realize it in recruiting or did you realize it in his first couple weeks on campus? Yeah, you know, Gabe, you, you watch film, you, you talk to people. Anytime you bring in anybody, right, whether it's a 17-year-old or a 22-year-old, and you get a feel and a sense of who they are. And, you know, as, as film spoke for itself, you know, at Arkansas, he was a team captain. So there's a reason why, right, he was able to start in the SEC, a reason why he was a captain. And everybody said, man, how did you end up getting him? Well, I think it worked out. This is the, a better culture fit for him. This is a better uh, schematic fit for him. And, and he's been absolutely he, – he's fallen in love with Memphis. I mean, it's yeah. great. You know, fans are going to love him because this dude absolutely cares about this place. He cares about the team. He cares about the city. And he works really, really hard. He's smart. He's tough. And so you get to see those attributes. And now as you get more comfortable because – just like with anybody, right? If you're the first, if it's your first day at the job, you're not going in and, and telling people what to do. You know, you're, you're kind of getting the feel, lay of the land, who are the other employees. Um, and, but no different with a football team, especially at that age. And he's come in, and you know, he he worked hard this spring. But you start to see the leadership qualities, you know, because now everybody respects what he does on the field. They see how hard he works. All right, he's built that sweat equity where now it's naturally respected by his teammates and then by the coaches, obviously. You guys know, obviously, I think highly enough of him to take him to media days and, yep. and continue to hang our hat on what we think he's going to be capable of doing for us in all facets of our program. Mm-hmm. Now talking with head football coach of the University of Memphis, Ryan Silverfield, on the offensive side of the ball, holler at me about my old position. We, that O-line, uh, certainly some things the last couple of years uh, that you guys have been trying to get out of that group, bringing a couple transfers there as well, certainly some competition open. What, what do you think about that group and uh, getting that run game going? Yeah, you know, it, it always starts up front, as you well know, and um, I'm still looking for that next Gabe Google <laughs> all over the world. But, yeah, I got you. <laughs> we, we still keep your statue in the O-line room, don't worry. <laughs> nice. Somewhere heading in the back corner. I just, I need, I, need a pic, I need a picture of me somewhere. I know we got Trayvon Tate on the door at the uh, facility. I just, I just need one picture somewhere. That's it. Yeah, so I thought I talked to Mark Hellhorst, the equipment manager. I think they're using your picture now on the urinal cakes. <laughs> nice, great, great. So, good spot hey, for it. Now, yeah. uh, you're a legend around here, and we, we certainly, you remind me often. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the O line, look, it's, it's, it, it hadn't been where we wanted to be the last few years, and, and I'm well aware of that. And we had, did bring in some transfers, but you got to look at guys. It starts with guys like Jacob Likes, right? A yep. multi year starter at the center position. I actually think he's taken significant jumps in his game and, and improvements even since last season, which is huge for a vet, right? And they're able to call a good game. You know, Jonah Gamble, a returning starter, played multiple positions for us up front, and Davion Carter started for us last year. And then really the biggest question mark that everybody's going to be asking is those tackle positions, and rightfully so. We've got competition, and um, we've rotated a lot of guys. And, um, yes, we'll, we will eventually settle in on who our guys are, but you can never have enough good alignment, as we well know. But yeah. we brought in some names, some guys that are battling, and 
you know, the, the tackle positions are the ones to keep the eye on, and that doesn't mean that we won't continue to have competition inside with those other three I just mentioned. But uh, they're the ones that got to be the, the go-getters for the run game. Um, and speaking of the run games, really like our running backs. You know, you yep. look at not only who we had, right, Jay Ducker, uh, the, the transfer from NIU a couple of years ago, very productive, solid running back force, does a lot of good things. You know, Sutton Smith is one that a lot of fans have heard of. Oh, what, Coach, that was the only freshman you talked about last year. He's the only true freshman that played some. He's dynamic, explosive. We're excited about him. And then, you know, you had all of a sudden Blake Watson, right, the transfer running back from ODU, multi-year, thousand-year rusher from there. Does a lot of great things. Was banged up the spring, so fans didn't get to hear or see a whole lot of them. But uh, excited about his addition as well. So I think you add all that in. Obviously, we need the tight ends, wide receivers to block, and I think our run game is going to be significantly improved. What What has your role been this off season? You have a, you have a younger head coach or younger uh, offensive line coach, and Jeff Myers stepping in there. Um, what What has your role been in uh, getting in that offensive line room? We know that that's where uh, the bread is buttered for you ultimately. Um, what 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 have you done in regards to getting around those guys, uh, schemes, everything else? Okay, yeah. So I'm not currently at the beach. I am. Still Still working right. every day. Okay. I hear you. We'll start with that. No, the uh, I think it's important to you know uh, you get these guys that become head coaches and you know they're they were maybe a quarterback coach and now all of a sudden they become a head coach and then next thing you know they're over there coaching the defensive line. I'm like, right. Oh, right. That guy became yeah. a defensive line guru because you added HC in front of his name overnight. That's not how it works, right? Obviously, over time and experience and seeing different things, so. I ultimately spend as much time as I can with the offensive line still involved, obviously, schematically with what we're doing and then, you know, paying as much attention. Now, training camp's a great time for me to sit in on some defensive meetings, kind of make sure we're going the same page philosophy, checking over things, uh, make sure we're on the same page, you know, with situational football, what we're doing, a lot of organizational stuff this time of year, um, make sure we're where need to be special teams-wise. But, yeah, when it's all said and done, anybody ever comes out and watches practice or looks for me, if I'm not in my office or, or running a staff meeting, I'm probably heading down the offensive line room trying to get some work done. And uh, spending time with those guys on the field is, is huge. Um, but we've got great faith in Coach Myers and what he's been able to do with those guys, and they've responded well so far. But uh, looking for those guys to make a huge jump. Now, I think from the outside looking in, there's a lot of unknown everywhere else on the offense besides at that quarterback position. How much have you seen from Seth this offseason and his growth? We're going into year three. Yeah. I mean, look, we all know we, Seth's a very good quarterback. Um, like I continue to challenge him is to own the football and, and find ways to win games. And uh, not saying that he hasn't done that in the past, but that's that growth, right? You know, year one, learning the offense, year two, learning the offense and then where to go with the ball at all times. And now year three, the leadership capabilities, um, the understanding he's running the ball a little bit better and, and just ball placement, right? Making great yep. decisions, continue to do that, put us in the right um, situation, right? Hey, maybe a check here, let him handle it. And then also been going out there and, and finding ways to win. He, you know, he's an ultra competitor. And here's the deal, right? He's the youngest three-year starting quarterback going to be in college football. You know, mm-hmm. He's just turned 20 not too long ago. And what he's able to do, you know, we're going to be facing some quarterbacks that are 24, 25 years old. And, you know, Seth's a three-year starter going, uh, you know, going to year three at, at age 20. And uh, we have huge expectations for him. And he holds himself to high standards, which is phenomenal. And uh, he, he's going to have a great season. And, uh, you know, I truly believe he's one of the best out there. Yeah, in the case that you say 24, 25 years old, they're, they're the quarterbacks he's going against. In the case of uh, North Texas last year, it was 29, wasn't it? 
<laughs> yes, they they had a twenty nine year old yeah. out there, and he's still. I believe he's still he's still in college football. Austin on yeah, So the, 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 we have a yes. I think their starting quarterback or last year was older than some of our coaches. So um, that's <laughs> <laughs> kind of deal. But yeah, we had a nineteen year old starting quarterback versus a twenty nine year old starting quarterback. <laughs> Very rarely in college football can you have a that type of age difference, but so be it. Yeah, so you guys are pushing across the message of finish with, with uh, you know, last year close games being lost and, and some leads being lost the last two years. Um, how, how do you go about getting that message across and what, what, type, of, what type of things do you instill at practice to make sure that, that those things don't happen again, repeat yeah. themselves like they have the last couple of years? Yeah, right. It, it sounds cool to put it up on the message board and have it on the back of our shirts, but it doesn't mean a damn thing unless we're putting it into practice. So, you know, when I talk about finish, it's it's a, a constant, right? Finding ways, going back to what I just said a few minutes ago, finding ways to win games, finding ways to, to handle your job for all four quarters. And, you know, first off, getting takeaways on defense, right? Putting the game away. You got to lead, go pick, take a pick and, and get down knee, whatever it may be, force a fumble, finish the game, owning the football, right? We can't have any turnovers. Uh, we've got to be fundamentally sound with that. And then finishing right, running to the ball every play. You know, no loafs. Right? Let's eliminate that from our team. And so just talking about that, and if you do those things, right, you can't sit there and practice fourth quarter football, you know, for 16 straight practices. But you're able to talk about, hey, if we do these things, we'll be in the right position as the clock winds double zeros, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter. But I think just putting the guys' minds, like, you know, it's a mindset, it's an approach. How do you go do things? I always want to go into every fourth quarter of the season with the lead right? and then find the opportunity to find ways to finish. Um, you know, so it's interesting, right? My first year as the head coach, we found ways to come back, you know, had some great comebacks in the fourth quarter. And these past few years, we haven't finished like we need to. we got to make sure we're in the right shape. But I also think depth there, right? But we Are we fresh enough to get things done? and find ways to close out games. So mm-hmm. we're harping on it. We're pushing it. Um, lip service doesn't do a damn thing. We're going yeah. out there and working hard to make sure we are uh, where we need to be. Last couple of things for head football coach of the University of Memphis, Ryan Silverfield. Um, you talked about the running backs already, but what about the wide receivers? Have some new faces. Also, Rock Taylor um, is, is looking to take a bigger role this year. Who, what are the, who are the guys you expect to step up in those playmaker positions as far as, I mean, tight end as well? I want you to speak to, but, but who do you expect to step up? Yeah, you know, Gabe, you're exactly right. I think you, you mentioned Rock Taylor. And, you know, fans have seen him. You know, he's had a handful of catches here and there the last couple of years, but I think Rock's uh, really, really in line for a huge season for us. He's been great. Um, he's, he's working his tail off. He's a big-bodied wide receiver that can run all day. So really have high expectations for what Rock Taylor is able to do. You know, I know a lot of the fans are excited about the name Demir Blinkham. See, they've heard the transfer from Toledo. He's electric, does something. Toski Dove, right, 19-game starter, team captain at Mizzou on our roster now, what he's able to do. And you look around, right, we got guys, uh, Marcelo Bussey, Kobe Drake, guys that we – think they can go out and do some things right joe skates uh got to be consistent if he is he's he's dynamic electric big wide receiver that can run and just continue to see but we've got it's good to be able to talk about names you know it's better yep. if i was like just naming one guy and saying hey well <laughs> this is our guy um mm-hmm. and we have you know we've been very fortunate here at memphis to have those hey calvin austin we know he's the dude right we knew who's daryl henderson he's the dude you know so we always yep. had those type of guys on offense 
but it's nice to be able to name some names. I think that all have the ability to do those uh, things we want offensively. Now, has it been easy to ignore all the insanity around the country with realignment while while you've been in camp? I know, I know, you, you've been you've been able to stay busy, obviously. So maybe it, maybe it's relatively easy, but it is it's insane out there right now. Yeah, it's one of those. I, what I love about training camp is one, I leave my cell phone on my desk from five a.m. till about ten o'clock at night, and right. don't have to check it unless someone says, "Hey, we got a, a recruit you got to talk to, or we got a commitment." No, that I can pick up the cell phone. But on that, it's I have no idea unless you know someone comes and tells me, "Hey, the Earth's on fire," or we, or there's a new, there's a new conference. Uh, so, yeah, both are. Well, well both. I was, was going to say both are both are both are happening right now. Okay, well, there you go. So, um, thank you for filling me in. I'll take note of that. <laughs> right. I got you. Uh, but, it, it, you know, look, it's, it is we, – we know that college athletics – you and I have had this discussion for years. It's, it's ever-changing. Um, it's not done. Everything is constantly moving and, and changing. And, you know, and that's what's so weird here is uh, – not weird. It's, it's all throughout college football. But there's not been a single season, right? I mean, someone sent me the thing about – this time uh, three years ago, you know, Big Ten came out and said they're not having a football season. <laughs> right. you know? and it's like, yep. holy cow! Now it's a different Big Ten that's going to be playing football in next in twenty twenty four. So, um, there's always going to be changes. There's always going to be things going on out of my control. Um, you know, we control what we can control. We're, we're working diligently, um, but right now my focus is, you know, with the hundred twenty players we got here on this roster and, and getting them. Um, to perform their best day in and day out and stay healthy and well so we can go out and have a fantastic season and it starts game one on September 2nd. Yep, now last thing for you, Fan Fest. We have a free Fan Fest coming up on uh, on Friday, 5.45 to 7.30. It'll be at uh, FedEx, the, the FedEx Field, basically, and it's put on by 901 Fun. Are the guys excited for that? Yeah, it's going to be a great event. Look, it's, uh, it'll be all, I think, most of the athletics departments that are here this summer right there at the, our beautiful new baseball field. So I think that give the chance, the fans a chance to see that new baseball field and, and be around a bunch of our student-athletes. We've got so many fine young uh, women and men here that uh, you know represent the university the right way. The 901 Fund's obviously uh, helping them out, and uh, we love our fans, and they're so instrumental in our success. So the more the merrier show up, um, and, and our players would love to see you guys. So as many fans as we can get out there, obviously – uh, not only for Fan Fest, but for this season. It's going to be so huge in our success, and we're so grateful for everything they already do. Yes, sir, Coach. Well, good luck heading into the season, and good luck with the rest of camp. We'll catch up soon. I appreciate you guys. Go Tigers. Yes, sir. That is Ryan Silverfield, University of Memphis head football coach on Twitter, on X, at Silverfield. I do want to throw out Fan Fest again. Fan Fest will be 545-730 to 730 on the on Friday at FedEx Field right there on South Campus, put on by the 901 Fund. You'll get to see all the players before they head into uh, into season. So that is a, a good opportunity to take advantage. I'm sure they'll have some giveaways, some things you can buy, um, but that should be a fun event all said and done. But thanks to Ryan Silverfield for carving out a little bit of time. I know he is busy at this moment. Now we need to go ahead and transition. And as we transition, Jeff Calkins is scheduled to join the show. We go from Ryan Silverfield to Jeff Calkins. That's next right here on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.